hey guys. Hey Michael. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, everybody. Hey, everybody. How are you guys? Good morning, Corey. Hello, hello. Yeah, it's good to be together. I'm glad we're uh, finally uh, finally doing this after uh, uh, after talking a little bit about about setting this up and having this conversation. Excited to do so. So um, let's introduce ourselves. Um, uh, David, would you be willing to to start us off? I'm David Shirey. I'm the senior minister at Central Christian in Lexington. Grew up in Ohio. Went to undergraduate at Indiana University and graduated from Vanderbilt Divinity School. I've served churches in uh, Tennessee and St. Louis and North Carolina, Indiana, Arizona. I can't hold a job. And now here, <laughs> here in Lexington. Um, in my 60 years, uh, married to uh, Jenny, three children scattered around the country, two grandchildren. And uh, wow. it's just great to be able to be a part of this with you three guys. That's great. How many, uh, how many Presbyterian churches have you served? Uh, zero Presbyterian churches. Oh. I married a Presbyterian, but uh, <laughs> turned her into a disciple. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. Awesome. Corey. Hey, everybody. Uh, so I'm Corey Wilcoxon. I serve Crestwood Christian Church in Lexington. Been there a little over 10 years now, which is kind of crazy to think about that. Uh, before that, I was in Chicago uh, for eight years. Before that, I did my student ministry under a tyrant, uh, just a horrible person to work with. I can't believe I survived that time and stayed in ministry because uh, that guy cannot keep a job, let me tell you. Um, I uh, have two daughters, Sydney and Molly. Uh, Sydney actually lives with me, so she is my roommate, uh, and Molly is 16. And uh, I have been looking forward to these conversations for a while and just thrilled to be a part of it. So I'm uh, 49, so I consider myself in my early 40s. Um, <laughs> will be in my early 40s until two days before my birthday when I move into my mid-40s. And then the day before my birthday, I move into my mid-40s. And so I'm going to continue enjoying my early 40s for as long as possible. So, yeah, good to be with you guys. Well, great, great. Um, good to have you uh, Good morning. Uh, my name is Don uh, Gillette, uh, and I serve as pastor of East Second Street Christian Church uh, in Lexington, of course. Uh, I've been there. Matter of fact, we just celebrated my 21st pastoral anniversary on yesterday. Congratulations. 21 years, or they've kept up. They're still, they're still trying to train me right, so that's why I haven't been able to leave yet. Uh, <laughs> I'm originally from Chicago, uh, Illinois, the great the great, the great city of Chicago. Um, I am married to Sharice uh, Gillette, who is the president of the Lexington Theological Seminary. Um, we have four children. I have an adult, we have an adult son, and then we have three, uh, I don't know, what's the word I should use on air? Blank, 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 teenagers. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, that are 16, 15, and 14. Wow. And I have a 17-year-old uh, granddaughter. And I'm in my mid-50s now. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Ready for my Corvette. Yes. <laughs> so, so far, we've got, uh, we've got uh, this wonderful diversity of ages. David, uh, 60. Uh, congratulations. Uh, uh, Corey in his uh, um, um, early, early 40s. 40s early 40s. 40s. Uh, we got mid-50s, and I will be uh, 30. 
37. I'm 36 right now. I'll be 37 uh, coming up shortly. Uh, I'm Michael Schwartzentruber. I serve as senior minister at South Elkhorn Christian Church, and I'm really grateful to know uh, to know and uh, to be colleagues with you here in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, uh, like Corey, I had a terrible, terrible teaching pastor in seminary. Um, uh, I, I had the privilege, uh, um, some might say, others might not, of uh, working with Corey Wilcoxon uh, as, his, as his student minister. Corey was a student minister at David, if you didn't catch some of those references. Uh, and so it's cool to have, uh, to have those connections and to be together. Um, I'm married. Uh, we've got two kids that we adopted last year and one foster child who lives with us. Uh, so we got three kids and it is a wild, crazy adventure to have school-aged children right about now. Uh, but it's a lot of fun too, because sometimes in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, like we're in, you just need to bounce on the trampoline and laugh. So I do like uh, being silly and playing games with my kids. Um, I have enjoyed serving South Elkhorn for five years now, uh, a student at the University of Chicago Divinity School, um, and looking forward to uh, really important and good conversations um, um, with you all. Married to a wonderful woman, optometrist uh, named Rebecca, who, uh, who keeps me grounded, I'll say that keeps me grounded. It is, uh, it, again, it's good to be with you all. Looking forward to, uh, uh, to the conversations that we're going to jump into coming up and excited to, um, um, to tackle some, I think, really important questions together. Um, again, we all know each other from being colleagues at churches in Lexington, Kentucky, and have had the privilege of uh, doing some pulpit swap and having some Bible study and going to District 9 clergy gatherings and getting to know each other and laugh with each other, poke fun at each other. Um, and uh, I think that'll be a really important context for our for our conversation as we as we tackle some hard things, um, but before we jump into a question, um, Corey, how did we get here? I mean, how did yeah, this whole thing so emerge? It's fascinating to sort of look back and see the the, the pathways that have gotten us to where we are. Um, you know, uh, we've all been uh, colleagues for a while. Uh, you know, Don and I. Don was here when I came to Lexington, and so we struck up a friendship uh, right away. And and. Uh, uh, that has continued to grow over the years. We, we've lost a lot of golf balls together. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, But in the midst of those, I've had some great conversations, um, uh, personal, uh, about the denomination, about issues of race. And so when all this started uh, going down, all the, the turmoil started, uh, you know, it was in my heart to say, you know, what, what can I do? What, how can I help? What, you know, not even knowing where to start, sort of feeling paralyzed. And Don and I had had some preliminary conversations of, of ways that we might um, uh, ways that we might address the issue before any of this went down with the with the current situation. We had talked previously about how we might um, model what conversations would look like. You know, honest conversations uh, um, among people of different color that that can really get at some of the the heart of of what the struggles are. Um, ways that we can really listen to each other. Um, ways that we can speak the truth uh, and honestly to each other in the context of this this respect and this friendship that we shared. Uh, and so when um, when the, the incident happened with George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor and those sorts of things, that sort of, for me, ramped up the urgency of, of figuring out what we can do. So Don and I had breakfast one morning and just kind of said, how do we move forward? How can we leverage our friendship? How can we leverage our relationship? How can we leverage the honesty that we can have with each other to maybe model for our congregations what it looks like to have these kind of conversations um, in, in ways to speak real honestly and be able to ask honest questions uh, without feeling um, judged or condemned. And so that was sort of the genesis, was just trying to figure out how can we go about 
starting these conversations. Don, I don't know if you remember that, if you have anything to add. I, I, I do. I think, uh, once again, Corey and I have been talking about this for some years. I, I think um, there was the opportunity uh, when we brought in an art exhibit several years back. I think that was before you got there, David. Yes, it was um, before me. And uh, Crestwood Central and East Second Street did the a book a book um, kind of review together the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, uh, and we met and we began doing some discussion then, uh, and then I believe Ferguson occurred, and we began doing some more in depth conversations and um, and so yes, this has been a conversation prior to. Uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Aubrey and Aubrey and and so um, this is something that we've been doing and and I think it it is uh, leveraging our friendship completely and Corey and I did have breakfast uh, about a month a couple months ago maybe I'm not yeah, sure um, and uh, time just flies when you're locked inside um, <laughs> um, uh, and. Uh, we we just wanted to make sure that we 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 began to talk, whether so that this opportunity of discussion would not pass us by, and so that we might begin understanding from one another in ways in which uh, we could talk and conversate, and even uh, be frankly honest with one another. Uh, and that's what friendship is about when you're in relationship. I think you're able to not have to uh, cover things up or to be um, polite. Uh, you, you're friends. And, and so that friendship has, that relationship has value. Now, you're not gonna come right out and just be cruel to one another, but uh, you can be honest with one another. And I think that's kind of the genesis of some of this conversation. I yeah, really appreciate that. I, I inherited the Martin Luther King uh, community service tradition that East Second Street and Central have done together for 30 years or so. And so that relationship with Dawn began in that planning for that annual event. Corey, you and Michael have been a part of that. Uh, but Dawn and I have said across these years, you know, how can we do more than just once a year? And uh, so when this has taken place over these last few months and uh, you two, Corey and Don, reached out to, to Michael and me about having this kind of conversation. It just feels like it's a, a Kairos moment. That is, this is the right time for us to leverage this friendship in these ways. Yeah, yeah. excited about it. And one of the things, uh, I mean, we, we talked about uh, in preparing for this was um, the fact that we can uh, trust each other, that we can trust each other enough to have those hard conversations and that that trust is already on display when we poke fun at each other because there's no shortage of that either in this, in this group. And so there's also a sense of, uh, I don't know, a playfulness, I think, which, which I'm looking forward to, to sharing with you all as we, and, as and, we yeah. And Michael, if, if I can, I, I wanna just kind of state the obvious. Uh, I'm, I'm the, the black American in, 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 the, in the picture. Uh, uh, you, the, you, you other three are um, Caucasian. Um, um, and my views are the views expressed by me uh, and folk who think like me. But 
once again, the African-American or black culture isn't monolithic. So it doesn't just have one voice and that represents everybody in the way everybody thinks. Mine uh, is representative of, of my experience, uh, of how I grew up, of, of how God has shaped and formed me. Um, and so I, I, I just think want to just put that on the table really, really quickly, just as much as you three don't speak for all the white dudes in America. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I've so tried, but it didn't work. I've tried. <laughs> and we don't even speak for our churches. I mean, that's the other thing. No. Even though we serve congregations, there's a, there's a diversity of thought uh, represented in our congregations. This, this isn't, uh, this isn't uh, the four churches talking. This isn't the, our, our skin color talking. These are four guys who love each other and have great relationships yeah. with each other talking uh, yeah. in real honest ways. And so I, I, I really appreciate you naming that, Don, because I wouldn't want any of our words to be taken in a, in a way differently than what we mean them. And that's for people trying to work out how we move forward on an issue like this. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in addition, we also want to name, and we've talked about this before as well, that we're also coming from, um, you know, male, uh, real, different, different versions of positions of power as senior leaders in, yes, in, in, in congregational settings, um, uh, straight guys. Um, so we recognize that there, this in no way is representative uh, from a host of perspectives. And perhaps as our conversation unfolds, we'll be able to bring in um, additional voices and additional conversation. Um, but we, so we kind of want to get that out there that, um, you know, we're not representing our churches necessarily, that we do serve and our experiences refracted by our churches. And we're not uh, representing every person um, um, uh, in our race. And, um, but this is just, like you said, I love that, uh, four guys who love each other, trying to work this out and to have frank and honest and at times silly conversation with each other. Um, uh, so we, we came up with a, you know, a really, a really, uh, simple kind of introductory question, um, to, to kind of, uh, for each of us to kind of, uh, chew on and to share. Um, when was the first time you became conscious of race, and so in this first um, in this first go at it, uh, Corey, you're uh, willing to share a story about uh, from what I understand a story that uh, when you first became aware of um, this idea or this experience of race, and so looking forward to hearing uh, hearing your experience. Yeah, so um, I guess the story is more about when I became aware that race was an issue. So I was aware that there were people of different skin color uh, around me. I um, grew up in the Louisville area, uh, sort of flitted back and forth between Southern Indiana and Louisville, raised by a single parent, and so we lived different places. And a couple times lived in um, areas of, of Louisville where uh, there was a diversity of people, diversity of colors that were there. I remember, you know, classmates, I had a second grade teacher that was African American, um, which I think is kind of unusual to have a teacher that early in your, in your schooling. And so I was always aware of it, but I never was aware that it was any kind of issue until we were living with my grandparents, uh, and, you know, as often as the case, and, and, and I want to make sure I respect my elders, but as many of us know, that, that age group, that culture, racism was so ingrained that there wasn't this awareness that we're trying to have today of it being an issue. I, I was just with a relative yesterday who was telling me stories about a, an older relative who's passed away and how racist that person was, and it, and it shocked me to my core because I'd never seen that side of that person. Um, and I'm still kind of dealing with, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this about, about him. Uh, but my, I remember very clearly my grandparents and my aunts and uncles telling racist jokes um, that I didn't think of as racist because I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that being an issue. I thought they were funny. Um, they were poking fun at a certain group of people, but I, I didn't 
I was looking at it from the perspective of being a white person hearing the joke and thinking the joke was funny. And so I would go to school and I would repeat the jokes because I'm like, hey, I heard this funny joke, let me tell this to you. And the joke would have the N-word in there or, or very derogatory terms. I didn't think anything about it. So with where we lived with my grandparents, uh, we backed up, their house backed up to, to some apartments. And I became friends with a, an African-American boy named Marcellus. Uh, and we would love to play wiffle ball together. That we would, uh, you know, every summer, every day in the summer, I'd go to his house about nine in the morning and knock on his door and he'd answer. And he was very, I mean, tall, lanky, very soft-spoken kid. And we would go, there was this opening between the apartment buildings were perfect for, for playing wiffle ball. And so we'd play wiffle ball and he'd come over and, you know, drink some tea and we go back and play some more wiffle ball. And we do that almost every day. And I remember one day we were playing and I said, oh, Marcellus, I got to tell you this joke my grandfather told me. It's hilarious. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I told him the joke, and it, and it contained the N-word. It was a very, looking back, I'm horrified that I would repeat this joke in front of him. But I didn't, it, I, what, the joke wasn't about him because I knew him. The joke was about this sort of faceless group of people that everybody in my family just sort of looked down on because that's what you did. I never made that connection. So I told him this joke. And he just kind of paused and he's like, I don't really think. And I'm like, he didn't laugh. I'm like, isn't that funny? Don't you think that's funny? He's like, no, no, it's not really that funny. And I thought he meant it wasn't funny because it wasn't funny. Um, I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. So we played some more. The next day I go over to his house to see if he wants to play. He's like, no, I don't feel like, I don't feel like playing today. I'm like, oh, he's sick? No, no, I just, I don't want to play. Tried a few more times. Didn't want to play. And that was it. That was the last time we had played together was the time I told him that joke. Oh. It was upon reflecting on that a lot later that I realized what I had done um, and how here's someone that he thought was a friend um, who would who would have the 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 you know the the lack of sensitivity, the audacity to tell a joke like that to him. But I remember thinking when I came to that realization. But that wasn't a joke about him, because I, I love him. I enjoy playing with him. That wasn't a joke. That was a joke about this, this, the, these other folks, you know, this other group of people. And I think it was upon reflecting on that that I realized um, that I began to realize sort of my complicity in, in the issue. Um, and that to realize that um, how ingrained racism was uh, in my family. Uh, I mean, I had. I remember having family members that attended Klan rallies in Louisville just to see what it was like was what was what was said. But I think I'll go over there just to see what it was like. Um, and looking back, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously I'm mortified by that uh, and also trying to become more aware of how that is a part of who, not only who I was, but who I am. Because I can't completely wash that, that, that from me because I grew up in that culture. I grew up with those jokes. I grew up with those people. Um, but that moment with Marcellus and realizing I, you know, I lost a, a good friend and someone I really enjoyed because I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't making the connection that the joke I was telling affected him personally. Um, you know, and, and, and it, and it kind of goes to, well, I'm, I have a black friend, so I'm not racist, you know? And so I can tell these jokes, but I don't mean the jokes as racist. I mean them as funny. Because look, I have Marcellus, and he's my friend, and and you know I wouldn't say anything to make him mad. Um, so I think that that was when I first really became aware of how my upbringing and the culture that I was brought up in 
impacted me and impacted those around me and how repeating repeating those jokes you know had an impact on those that I was friends with and how people saw me as well and so that was that was a real eye-opener for me to recognize that that I had done that damage to to that friendship my, my first reaction is just um, gratitude for your willingness to, to kind of share that. I think there's so much shame about um, the ways in which, you know, speaking for myself, the ways in which I know that I've um, repeated and um, uh, participated in uh, racist ideas and racist words and in racist systems. And so I think there's a reticence to like, you know, kind of shy, shy away from that and hide that. And that's, um, you know, as simple as a joke and as simple as a broken friendship uh, when you think about how that, oh. And my first reaction was, I was mad at him. How can mm. he sense at that? You know, I was putting wow. it all on him. I didn't do anything wrong. It was mm. his fault for taking offense at a joke that wasn't about him, um, which obviously just exacerbates the problem. Corey, you were in, uh, in elementary school during yeah, that? Yeah, I was probably second or third grade, something like that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, obviously when you told that, it just made me, you know, just ache and cringe and all those kinds of feelings and just the whole notion of uh, jokes, racist, racist jokes brings to my mind um, the times as I was growing up and of course I heard some of those, I'll share that in my own time, but when I finally reached the point that I recognized that as a white person one of the things I needed to do was when I heard other white folks tell those jokes as if, hey, you're going to laugh at this because this is about them and you're one of us, that it was important for me as a witness to say, no, no, not, not funny. Uh, I, and so, ugh, I, I, thanks, Corey. I, it just yeah. made me go, oh, my gosh. Um, the, the interesting thing is even if I would have had that awareness, though, that the jokes were, were racist. These are my grandparents telling them. I wasn't gonna speak up against my grandparents and say, you shouldn't say this. I mean, you respect your elders, right? And so even as I became aware of it, as I got older and heard those jokes, there's no way I was going to call someone out because that would have been, so it's almost like respecting your elders became more important than calling out. Ooh, ooh. So put in this position of, wow, when someone that I, I love and respect and who has authority over me says something racist it's it's, wow. it's a decision right you face do you call and i've i've run into that in the last few months with mm. who have posted things on social media that i've considered racist i've called them out and there has been damage done to the relationship because i'm calling out someone older than me um <clears throat> who i've respected my whole life but who is saying something i disagree with and i think is is harmful when I was a kid, there was no way in the world I would have called out someone, even if I was aware of the damage that right. he was doing. Yeah. Yeah, I think about the. I mean, I think about the ways that children um, internalize the culture around them, the culture of their families. And it. I mean, I've heard you know racism isn't something that is born; it's something that's taught. And it also makes me profoundly aware that even though. Um, my kids won't be hearing jokes like that from, from me. I wonder what they are seeing and hearing from me and the ways in which the conversations we do and don't have um, shape, their, um, shape their understanding and shape their perspective.
And the other thing for me that, um, and Don, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, because one of the things that this has made me struggle with is trying to trying to put myself in Marcellus's shoes mm. understand how he felt when I did that, recognizing the limitations of that, right? Recognizing I, I can only go so far in trying to figure out how he felt when he heard me tell that joke. Um, but I would have to think there was almost a sense of betrayal on his part. You know, here we are, we're, we were, we were really good friends. We spent every day together during the summer playing wiffle ball. And for, for someone that I think he, I think he trusted, uh, that he felt was a friend to say something like that. I've tried to put myself in his shoes just so I can begin to understand how it makes him feel so that I would then not, not make that mistake with someone else. But I, I struggle to do that because obviously I can't, just tap into that experience and know what that felt like. Um, you know, once again, I think he was a second or third grader too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so there are things that, that I believe he probably understood to already be because being an African-American or a black person, it's, 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 it's there in your face a lot. Uh, some of you may not understand. And so, Part of it may be, it's kind of hard to put yourself in the shoes because he may have went home and told the same joke. Yeah. Uh, and then he was faced with a sense of reality when his parents said, where'd you get that joke from? And okay, well, let me explain this to you. Yeah. You know, because, which which breaks a sense of innocence. Wow. Right, right. Um, and, and at that point, it was, then it begins to be, the trust factor. I thought you were my friend. How could you tell this joke? Yeah. And and at uh, ten or nine, eight or nine, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to say. Oh, well, that's what his parents taught him, you know. Or he, he doesn't really he doesn't really know that yet. So so all of that could have been um, something that went through him. And so it's kind of hard to experience that because then that innocence has been broken. The trust factor has been broken. And so um, I would wonder on the other side. Um, and, and thank you, uh, Michael, because, you know, the thing of it is, is hate or racism is, is taught. Um, uh, is not, and so uh, what, what are, what are, what are uh, a lot of our uh, uh, folk being taught in their homes uh, be it uh, um, uh, covert or overt, um, um, what's being taught, and so uh, you know, Corey, I thank you for sharing that 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 powerful story that reminded you of when there was an effect in race, and 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 once again, even as we look at it, we know that race is a social construct. So um, that's a whole nother ball game and a whole nother question and a whole nother discussion. But, but yeah, thank you. Thank you, Corey. Absolutely. And I know that each of us over the next, um, the next few conversations are going to share a story of when um, um, we became aware of race or perhaps the negative consequences that are involved with racism and the way race functions in our society. Um, and so um, grateful that we can uh, share honestly with each other and wrestle with those together and um, be able to learn from that. And hope, hopefully other people can um, uh, share their thoughts as well as um, uh, uh, help us learn and grow uh, can, together. Can, can, can I ask Corey a question? 
No, I'm done. Uh, oh, you're on the hot seat. <laughs> yeah, you can tell. You can tell he's on the hot seat. Look how ready he is. Yeah. <laughs> Don, you can ask me any question you want. I just may not answer. I, I you, you you mentioned it, and and I heard David mention the the idea of of calling people out, or not calling people out. I won't I won't use that, but but speaking your your um your heartfelt desire speaking from where you are and how you view things um um how how and, and you know social media is one thing and and you can get caught up in some threads and and you you're down a rabbit hole and nothing is ever solved um yeah. but but when you're in groups or even when you're with family how how do you respond when you see issues of of racism or issues of hate or issues of, of 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 things of that sort how do you respond especially when you're in groups where maybe the folk you don't know or they're in groups where you have relationships built yeah that's oh man that's that's a, a tough one um well first of all i try not to put myself in situations with people who do those sorts of things but you know you can't guarantee that that's not going to happen. And, and the way I come at it, and, and I, it's, it's probably personal for each, each, uh, each person. I'm not confrontational in the way that I'm going to say, hey, what you said was racist. But what I try to do is I try to invite sort of wonder questions. Well, I, wonder how, I wonder how a person of color would hear that statement. Or I wonder, I wonder what situation or, or what, I wonder what in our system has led to, to that sort of situation. Trying to invite a way to, to think about it. Now, I'm reading the book White Fragility right now, and what I realize I'm doing is I'm sort of coddling the person who made the statement, like I don't want to make them too mad and upset them by calling them a racist, even though what they said was racist, but trying to find a way, how can we, you know, how can I introduce an alternative way of understanding what they said in a way that they can hear it and not just shut down and get defensive and everything that happens when a good white person, you know, is, is called out for saying something racist. So I try to invite the conversation uh, more than just saying, "Ah, oh, you shouldn't be saying that. That's you know that that's racist or or whatever." Um, and sometimes it's well received, and sometimes I'm shut down, like, "Oh, you're too sensitive. What are you talking about? That's not racist." And you know, you, you pick and choose your battles. Now on social media, I'll just I'll I'll call a person. I can call a person out because there's a little more anonymity, right? And there's not that direct kind of confrontation. So I can say, "Hey, you know, I don't. I think what you said is could be you know." It could be heard as racist, but face to face, it's a lot more difficult because you have a lot more dynamics. And so I try to think about how can I invite a conversation about what was said that, that begins to get at some of the issues rather than just point the finger and confront the person. I don't know. Is that a cop out, Don? No, no. I, I, you know, I, I, think, <laughs> I think you call people out. I, I think a repeated, repeated actions of racism Call some call somebody out as a racist. A a yeah. incident or a comment may not make the person racist in 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 in, in that term, but it it called it, it they should be called to the carpet for their racist comment. And I think in in this mm -hmm. in this day and age, folk aren't listening to each other. And so me saying that that was a racist statement automatically makes the, it makes the person believe that I'm calling them a racist. Right. Mm. That's not necessarily the case, 
because mm. I don't use that term lightly. Uh, we, we, we do have some folk who, who have shown that they are racist. There, there are bits of racism in a lot of folk, but, but to be a racist uh, is, is kind of an overt thing, but that's what people hear. I, 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 I think even, hmm. even well-intentioned uh, uh, white folk have to uh, kind of watch it. I, I, I happen to get into a dialogue on social media with somebody who I wasn't even friends with, but I had posted on a thread of somebody I knew. And this person came back and we went back and forth, back and forth. And this person said, well, I know more, it was a white person, said, I know more than the average black person. Wow. And at that bit, I just, I had to, <laughs> I, I just said, well, okay, well, you need to think about that. And that was, that was the end of my conversation. Cause at that point it's like, we're going to be in a rabbit hole and yeah. I might wind up saying things that folks say, Pastor, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, does that like kind of also speak to like oxygen and like sometimes you just need to deprive something of oxygen and um, especially like, so I think about passing fleeting comments with someone you, you're not in a relationship with, whether that's on social media or in real per and, and, and it, now I'll name that um, I, I can be very non-confrontational. So this may be a cop out too, but sometimes it's almost just like, intentionally ignoring those kinds of things and not giving them the oxygen to kind of catch on, especially if you're not in a kind of relationship where that conversation can unfold in a productive way that may lead to that being changed. I don't know. I guess it depends on the, how the egregious well, nature of it. But. Well, well, see, I, I, I'm, I'm almost with, um, I like the way Corey pointed it out, non-confrontational, a wonderment question, mm -hmm. because just as he was a second grader telling a racist joke, and not having no thought pattern that it was racist, the person who's indulging in the activity or the words may not realize that mm -hmm. they are racist or, or that they are demeaning uh, to people of color. Um, and, and so <laughs> there, there has to be a way that we call this out when, when we see it, you know, without the person pulling out their shotgun and shooting us because we don't know them. But, yeah. but, but there has to be a way that we, hmm. we engage this. Hmm. Um, because I, I think for a lot of folk, it's, it's, it's a sense of ignorance. And I'm meaning the truest term of ignorance, right. a lack of knowledge, not a derogatory ignorance. Um, but just meaning that they have a lack of knowledge and understanding. Oh, and that's just, I think that's just a tremendous observation there. In fact, back in your earlier comment, when you talked about that loss of innocence that took place in that exchange between Corey and Marcellus, the loss of innocence and just the, the ignorance that was there before that. And it seems to me we're in a time now where I think there's a passage in the scriptures that the time of ignorance is past. <laughs> and what do we do with our, now that we know? You can continue mm -hmm. to deny, you can ignore it, which is another variation of ignorance, isn't it? To ignore. Or we can deal with these, these truths that are painful and that have murdered and broken relationships. Mm -hmm. And I share the... Um, the non-confrontational 
thing, but I got to tell you a story that Corey, this picks up on what you said. And Don, thank you for inviting us on how do we do this, especially mm -hmm. whites and whites. Okay. That's my issue. It's what I have to do. And um, I can, and believe me, I grew up with these jokes, but I remember so clearly. Uh, Michael, I must have been in my mid-30s at this point. I was at, my church in, <laughs> I was at my church in North Carolina. It was like a men's breakfast. One of my elders had a guest and introduced his guest to me. The guest, in this little banter that guys will do, said, Hey, Pastor, have you heard the one? All right, as soon as he started to tell that, I knew where it was going. I knew where this was going. And you know, there's a social construct that at the end of a joke, there's this sympathetic laughter, even if it's a bad joke, everybody laughs. And there was something in me saying, David, what are you gonna do? You, can't, you cannot laugh. We all, all was like, you can't laugh at this. What are you gonna do? How are you gonna deal with this? Because it, it, it turned out to be a racist joke and, and Corey, here's where it comes in. Got to the punchline, the elder laughed, this guy sort of laughed. And what I said was, I was straight faced. Now granted, these are two men that are probably in their 70s, mm -hmm. 35. So Corey, I get that, I get that, and an elder. And what I said was, when they saw that I wasn't laughing, I said, would you have told that joke to Rosa? Now here's where I'm, I'm, my own racism is made known. Rosa was our 80 year old cus black custodian. So here's a 35 year old white, okay, non, calling a 80 year old African American woman by her first name, guilty. But I said, would you have told that joke to Rosa, who's 25 feet from us, cleaning up after the breakfast. Now, to my elders' credit, I suppose, southeastern North Carolina, after it was all over and passed, he came over to me and he apologized. Uh, to which I give him great credit, but I just, I can remember that moment so well of knowing that it was coming. David, you're gonna have a chance here. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna laugh? <laughs> are you gonna say nothing? What are you gonna say? And thankfully, Corey, when you said wondering, I could make it personal. Would you tell that joke to Marcellus? Would you tell that joke to Dawn? Would you tell that joke to, to Rosa? And it, it be, it's become something for me when my non-confrontational side, I know something needs to be said. Okay, David, what are you going to say? And how are you going to say it? It's tough. I'm just glad we could acknowledge this together. It is, but I'm wondering now with all that's going on, maybe the time for non-confrontational approaches is past. You know, maybe, and I mean that, I mean that from, whites talking to whites. Maybe we need to stop coddling and, and asking wondering questions and just call it out for what it is and deal with the consequences. That shouldn't be Don's responsibility to do that. Um, he shouldn't bear the burden of that if someone, at what point do we look at someone and say, you know, that was a racist comment. I don't think you should have said that. And that, ooh, that bristles me to say that to someone. Because if someone had said, if Marcellus had said to me, Corey, that joke was racist, I would have been offended. 
I'm not, I'm not a racist. What are you talking right. about? I don't burn crosses. I don't wear a white hood. I'm not a, it's a good, bad binary, right? That's not me. And so I know how I would have reacted, but I feel like the non-confrontational approach, is that getting us anywhere? Is that making any progress? Maybe we have to start being confrontational and calling these things out, leveraging our privilege, leveraging our authority and our roles to, to be willing to say to someone, you know, I think that comment was racist. And then we deal with the consequences of it instead of the person of color dealing with the consequences of calling a white person out for racism. Maybe it's our time to step up and say that. I, I think, Corey, you know, the, the line that we've heard, silence is complicity. I, I, I think that's right. I, I think we've got to find it. Yep, got to find that uh, ability to speak. And Don, you said something that's been sticking with me, and, and I think um, something that's crept up again and again, which is the difference between kind of um, calling a person a racist and calling what someone says or thinks racist, which yeah. kind of separates the person from the action. And I think perhaps what's so difficult, many things are difficult, but one of the things is the ways we take our own words so personally. And so it's our own inability um, in a host of different circumstances to separate kind of who we are from what we've said. And I think for me, my own journey has been recognizing the ways that, um, you know, I can easily get paralyzed by shame and guilt when I immediately think about past actions, past comments, past things that I've thought and said, and not been able to separate myself from those things. Um, the way God sees me, the way God, the God's hope for me, um, beyond those um, terrible, awful things that I believed and said and participated in. Um, and so I, I just, I really appreciated that because I think that also maybe ties into how we go about whatever confrontation looks like, whatever calling, calling out looks like. We want to be careful not to get into the, I think the nosedive of um, hurting people and instead dealing with what people have said and done. Yeah. Good. Hmm. It's a great topic for a, another conversation. How we do that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I, I have a hunch this is going to open up lots of conversations. And yeah. uh, you remember? Do you do you remember when four pastors got together and said we're going to keep this to fifteen minutes? Do you remember that? <laughs> you remember that? that was about two hours ago, I think. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 Th these were going to be fifteen-minute conversations, <laughs> and I just want to. I just want to note that the the, the mid-thirty pastor went. Oh, yeah. Right. And <laughs> and I don't normally say I told you so, but I told you so. Um, I will also yeah. say this. This has been a beautiful conversation, and I'm so grateful to be to be doing it with you and to be um, learning from you and um, being able to enter into the um, safe place to share um, share our hearts and to share these difficult moments in our lives. Absolutely, yeah. Appreciate your all's feedback. Thank and your you, guys. Story. Mm. I, I yeah. appreciate it, each of you, and I'm glad to be in conversation with you. And once again, um, just want to thank Corey for his openness and. Um, his recollection and um, mm. just where he's at now and where each of you are at, uh, even even uh, non-confrontationally where you are at. Um, but, I, but I think um, the three of you have said it, uh, we're living in some times now where the non-confrontation uh, or the, the, the normal way of non-confrontation has to be changed. Now, whether it means you turn to being confrontational or you learn a new way of being non-confrontational, that immediately addresses the issue. Um, so, so I'm not saying we'll move from non-confrontational to confrontational. For me, it's let's address the issue yeah. in whatever way we need to address the issue 
so that at night we can all sleep and say we have addressed we've made address we've made comments or we've addressed the issue to the best of our ability today wow that's great don so it help us to, to to do it better tomorrow Woo. thank you yeah i mean when we get four pastors together someone's got to preach right <laughs> <laughs> Any surprise it was Don? No surprise nope. here. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Oh, wow. well, thank you. Co Corey, again, thank you. And I look forward to uh, thank you uh, to sharing in conversation with you all uh, uh, in our next episode. And uh, until then, um, with, you know, again, with pastors gathered, church folk gathered, may God bless you and keep you. You all as well. Good to be with you. God bless you. Amen.